This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. I really feel like I have a word for somebody today and really a unique assignment because I don't think it's necessarily my assignment to speak to the you that's in this room right now. But I think I need to speak to the you about Wednesday next week when you're not in the Wilton and uh, John Gray is not here to jump on a drum cage <laughs> and hit notes that I have never even heard in my life and Chad's not here and Rich is not here and it's just you and, and you're really wondering, can you do it again? I want to speak to the you about that time next week. So you might not even like this message right now, some of you, but just, just download it later. You, you might need it. And so I want to jump straight to the word. Do you have a Bible with you? Come on, if you got a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do care. Awesome. Some of your Bibles are glowing. Charged up your Bible last night. I want to look at two passages of Scripture. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And also Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Now, I know it's morning, but don't y'all get quiet on me today. Come on. Matthew 3, starting at verse 13, when you got it, say, yeah. yeah. If you need some time, say, hold up. All right, well, hurry up. I ain't got that much time. <laughs> it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. and You're coming to me? Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom? I am well pleased. It's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way, just in case you was wondering. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, whoo, just let that hit you in the face for a minute. 40 days and 40 nights. 40, yo, that's a long fast. That's a long fast. Earlier this year, I did like a 21-day Daniel fast, 21-day Daniel fast. And four days into the fast, I was convinced Daniel ate KFC. And I said, I don't want nobody judging me. I struggled to fast four minutes, but Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And I love when the Bible is just blatantly obvious. It says, afterward, he was hungry. I bet he was. 40 days. 40 nights, Ooh, no food. And verse 3 says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Pause, time out. 
Did you read what we just read? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. This is for free. This isn't even part of the message today. But I want you to understand that how you approach and how you apply the word of God to your life is critical. Because if you have the wrong approach or the wrong application of the word of God, you can actually manipulate scripture to say whatever you want it to say. And it is a diabolical scheme of the enemy to get you to adjust the word of God to fit your life instead of adjusting your life around the word of God. Well, come on, somebody. I'm already preaching up in here. Jesus interpret scripture to scripture and he said it is written again you shall not tempt the Lord your God verse 8 again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me and Jesus said to him away with you Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God him only you shall serve then the devil left him and behold angels came and ministered to him can you say amen this morning, I want to preach, not long, probably about six and a half hours, <laughs> just using this as a title, The Water and the Wilderness. The Water and the Wilderness. Do me a favor, look at your neighbor one last time, get in their face, get in their personal space, and say, neighbor, it's about the water and the wilderness. Come on, find you another neighbor, one more neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor, I'm telling you, it's about the water and the wilderness. Come on, if you believe God's going to speak to you, would you give him some praise up in here? Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. And uh, it's going to be a long prayer. going to be a long prayer, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are awesome. Speak this morning. Amen. <laughs> Zoe Conference, this year, this year, I will celebrate and commemorate 13 years of full-time ministry. 13 years of full-time itinerant ministry. For the last 13 years, I've had the incredible privilege and opportunity to travel around the world and preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus for 13 years. And it's hard for my mind to even believe that it's been 13 years because I first started coming to the church I'm a part of in Dallas when I was just three years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, single, scrawny, still living at home with my parents. Now I am happily married, 33, three kids, one dog, no cat, one mortgage, six chest hairs. I'm a grown man now, people. I'm a grown man. <laughs> and uh, in my 13 years of traveling, there is a question that I've often been asked, and it is a question based on an assumption. And it'll generally happen after a service, especially if my father is traveling with me. Somebody will inevitably come up to me and say, hey, Robert, how long has your father been preaching? Or, Robert, where does your father pastor? And to some people, shock, I let them know that my father is not a preacher. My father is a firefighter. For the last 32 years, my dad, Robert Madu Sr., has been fighting fires for the city of Dallas for the last 32 years. Okay, yeah, shout out to all the first responders. Now, my father and I, we have the same name, distinctly different vocations. The same name, totally different callings. I think that's imperative for you to note this morning because in the unlikely event that your house should catch on fire and you were to be trapped inside of that house that caught on fire and for whatever reason, you could only call one Robert Madu to get you out, 
make sure you call the right Robert, okay? <laughs> make sure you call the right Robert. Now, don't get me wrong. Both of us will do our best to make sure you get saved. Ooh, church jokes early in the morning. Uh, like, like, like neither one of us would want you to experience the flames. Ooh. However, how we accomplish that objective will be totally different, okay? All right. My father, Robert Madu Sr., who's the fireman, he is going to jump on a fire truck, go inside the house, and rescue you from the flames. Ooh. My approach is going to be a little bit different, okay? I'm just going to grab a microphone. And I'm going to stand outside a considerable distance away from you that's trapped in the fire. And I'm just going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you. And I'm going to say something like, consider it pure joy, my brother. Whenever you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance patience. I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold because no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Key change. Hey, you're not the only one that's ever been trapped in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in a fire too. And if God got them out, then he, I said he, not me, but he, get you out too. All I'm saying is I'm a preacher, not a firefighter. Oh, that was fun. Anyway. Um, in, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, some of my greatest memories as a kid was when I would visit my dad at the fire station, okay? You gotta understand, when you're a little boy and your dad is a fireman and you get to visit him at the fire station, people, the fire station to a little boy is like Disney World without the ticket prices, okay? I vividly remember running around the fire station, I'm, I'm trying on the uniform, I'm climbing the ladder, I am pretend driving the fire truck. I remember kids at school would be like, hey Robert, I got a new fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cute, I drive one, hashtag dream bigger. I mean, it was <laughs> some awesome moments. Awesome memories that I'll never forget. But Henry's OA conference, I will never forget the day I'm a kid visiting my dad at the fire station and pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, without warning, I hear on the intercom Engine 26, five alarm house fire. Engine 26, five alarm house fire. And all of a sudden, my father went from laughing and smiling at me, pretend driving the fire truck all of a sudden in his Nigerian voice saying, son, get up now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. Immediately, firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. I saw two firemen who were playing ping pong. They threw the paddles in the air and started putting on their gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. He stopped mid-bite of the turkey sandwich and jumped on the fire truck. And in no less than three minutes, the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot. And the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence and destiny was on the line. And I will never forget the look on my father's face and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship with his son to now racing to put out a fire that he didn't start. I share my childhood memory with you this morning 
in a feeble attempt to accurately articulate the tone and the tension of what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism and in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation. And this morning, I need you to feel the whiplash of our Savior because in chapter 3 with his baptism, he is in perfect fellowship with the Father. But in chapter 4 with his temptation, he is racing to put out a fire that he did not start but was started in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were disobedient and took the forbidden fruit and got humanity in the mess that it is in today and the tension is in his transition from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4. Oh, can you put on your scuba gear because I'm going to try to go deep today, okay? Uh, first of all, I want you to understand that, that the chapter numbers and the, chap and the verse numbers that are printed in your Bible, although sometimes they can be helpful, sometimes they can actually be a hindrance and stop you from getting the context of the text that you're reading. So if you're not careful, you'll do what I've done for years, which is to read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3 pause for a commercial break, and then read about his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and you'll be tempted to look at these two events as isolated events that should be viewed independently. But I submit to you today that these two events were never supposed to be viewed independently, but rather interdependently, because God has actually given us biblical blues clues as to what you will face as a believer. God is just letting you know that if you're going to live a life of faith, there is a trajectory that your life will go through. There is something that you will face that is inevitable. All I came to tell you today is that there is a connection between the water and the wilderness. The water and the wilderness. The water and the wilderness. Ooh. Maybe I read the wrong verse of scripture today and I shouldn't have read Matthew's account. Maybe I should have read my boy Marky Mark's account because look at how Mark puts it in Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 13. Can we put that on the screen? Mark chapter 1 verse 9 to 13. I love it. It says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 12 says, immediately, immediately, no chapter break, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast. Immediately, Jesus went from the water to the wilderness. See, it's that immediately that irritated me this entire week, because I'm trying to figure out how in the world, one moment he's being baptized, the next moment he's in a battle. One moment he is in total comfort, the next moment he is in total conflict. One moment he is in cohesive community, the next moment he is in complete isolation. One moment he hears a voice from heaven, the next moment he hears a voice from hell. One moment he's in the water getting a word from heaven, the next moment he's in the wilderness facing real warfare. Come on, don't act like you ain't never been there before. How is it on Sunday or at a conference like this, you experience God's power and presence, but the very next week, it's like the enemy puts a laser beams from hell on your forehead. One moment you're stepping out in great faith, the next moment fear has gripped your heart. One moment you want to pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you. The next moment you want to look at all your haters and speak to them in a tongue that needs no interpretation. Come on somebody. Does anybody know what it's like to make the transition from the water I'm trying to preach in here to the wilderness. The tension is in the transition. So hey Converse, why is it? Why is it that on the pathway to your purpose, en route to your destiny that the GPS system God's positioning system will always tell you, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. You always go from the water to the wilderness. Before I talk about what happened in the wilderness, I first want to discuss what happened in the water. 
I need you to understand today that Jesus' baptism was a big deal. How many know it was a big deal? As a matter of fact, if you're here today and you put your faith in Jesus and you haven't gotten baptized yet, what's wrong with you? Get baptized. <laughs> if Jesus got baptized, you know your cray-cray self <laughs> needs to get baptized. <laughs> Jesus' baptism was a big moment. This was an epic moment. Jesus' baptism was like that scene at the beginning of the movie that if you missed it because you were putting extra butter on your popcorn, you may as well go home and wait for the movie to come out on Netflix because you're going to be confused the entire movie. I find it intriguing. Of the four gospel writers who put pen to paper to discuss the life of Jesus, only two of them discussed Jesus' birth. Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even deem it necessary to discuss the birth of Jesus. Come on, you know you gangster when you skip Christmas, okay? <laughs> they don't even talk about his birth, but all four of them talk about what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. All four of them said, you cannot miss this paramount moment. I know Jesus' baptism was a big deal because the Bible says when Jesus got baptized, that immediately the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Come on, you know when the heavens open up that the atmosphere has just shifted. You know when the heavens open up that something is going to happen come on you know when the heavens open up you're gonna get a word from heaven come on that's why you came to zoe conference you could be having brunch right now why would you come here on a saturday morning not so we can have a cute conference but come on is there anybody in here that wants to feel the heavens open up in this place so you can experience god's power and his presence Ooh, come on, somebody give them a praise like you want the heavens to open up in this place. Ooh, come on, that's the best praise you got. Come on, some of y'all are going through some hell and you need the heavens to open up in your life. Hallelujah. When the heavens open up, something is going to happen. I know Jesus' baptism was a big deal simply because of who showed up at the baptism. Because for the first and only time in the entire New Testament, the whole Godhead, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit made a cameo appearance at the exact same time. Because you got God the Father making a declaration from heaven. You got God the Son being baptized in the water. And you got the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Come on, when the whole Trinity shows up, this is a significant moment. I, I know his baptism was a big deal simply because of what the father was declaring over the son. See, the father was not declaring a random word. The father was declaring a truth that has to be the anchor in your soul whenever life comes against you. The father was declaring something that you got to know that you know that you know no matter what you're facing in here today. And that truth is this. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he, I'm going to say it till you get it. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. That truth right there, how many of you know, will change your life forever? Okay, like 15 of you know it. The rest of you are going to find out in a minute, okay? I'm telling you, the day that is cemented in your soul that you know you are loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you, that will change the way you walk into a room. That will change your swag. That will change the way you hold up your head. When you know you are loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. In fact, I want to give you a dare at Zoe Conference. I want to give you a dare. Free country, but I want to give you a dare. Every morning you wake up, every morning you wake up, before you brush your teeth, just go to the mirror and declare over yourself with your stanky breath and just say, I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Ooh, that would be a great way to start your day. If you're thinking about getting a face tattoo, 
I wouldn't, but if you want to anyway, I have a suggestion of what you should put on your forehead. You should put, I am loved, I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. Next time you go to Starbucks and the barista says, what name should I put on a drink? You ought to tell her, I got three. I am loved, I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. Next time you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat, and you ain't getting the likes or the comments or the views you thought you were going to get on that particular post, I tell you to cut off your smart device that's making you stupid and just declare to yourself, I ain't living for other people's likes because I'm already loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. Getting happy off my own sermon. That truth changed your life forever. What if, what if, what if you filtered every circumstance, every negative comment from other people through that transcendent truth that you are loved you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. You wouldn't lose your joy so easily if you were confident of that. Come on, some of you wouldn't walk into conference looking constipated like you've been sucking on lemons. If you knew you were loved, you're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. That, that means when people are like, I don't like you. Say, that's cool, I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I think you're ugly. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. You know you ain't got no teeth. I know, but I share love. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased. <laughs> that truth. Game changer. Hear me, Zoe. That's where most believers stop. They always stop at the water. Don't get me wrong. The water is significant because the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. The water is the place where you find out who you are and whose you are. Note, when the father makes this declaration over Jesus, this is before he's done a single miracle. He ain't walked on water yet, hasn't healed anybody yet, hadn't casted out one demon yet, hadn't taken the two fish and the five loaves and multiplied it, made the first red lobster yet, <laughs> hadn't been to the cross yet, hadn't even gotten up from the grave. Yet the father still says, you're loved, you're my child, and I'm pleased with you. How? He ain't done anything. I know, but this has nothing to do with performance. Everything to do with proximity and relationship to me. You are still loved. You are still my child. And I'm pleased before you ever perform. That's where most believers stop. We always stop at the water. So you leave a conference like this or you leave a good service and you're like, were you in church today? <laughs> you heard what he said. I'm loved. I'm a child of God. And he is pleasing me. And you feel real good in the water. But I felt the need to warn you. And right after the water, you will walk straight into the wilderness. Right after you hear the voice from heaven, hear me, you will hear the voice from hell. This is what messes us up as believers because we have almost been programmed and conditioned to think that once I have the approval of heaven, I won't have an attack from the enemy. Oh yes, this ideology is even being promulgated from some pulpits to the point that we have relegated the approval of God to a better car, a bigger house, a better job. Oh, I got a check in the mail. God must be pleased with me. Oh, I got these fresh kicks. God is pleased with me. And we have relegated it to blessing. And don't get me wrong, I am all for blessing. I am for blessing. I'm for blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. I believe God wants to get a blessing to you so he can get a blessing through you. But the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from an attack from the enemy. As a matter of fact, I'll go further to say that the reason some of you are facing what you're facing right now, hear me, is simply because God is pleased with you. You didn't do something wrong. You did something right. That's why hell is coming against you. Ah. 
Conversely, the reason why some of you life is perfect and you tiptoeing through the tulips and Kool-Aid coming out of your water fountain, perhaps it's because your life is stagnant and you ain't done anything and you haven't upset the kingdom of darkness. But when you start standing up for God, when you say, I'm going to be who God has called me to be, when you start kicking demons out of your city and out of your house and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. All hell gets nervous and demons start to tremble. Oh, I'm telling you. It is, it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl from hell. Ooh, that'll tweet. It is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl from hell. All I came to tell you today is receive the smile, but don't get shocked when you get the scowl from hell. Studying this text, Chad, and be honest, I did not like the sermon. I told God, I said, I want to go from the water to the wilderness. I told God, this is messed up. I said, if I could pick it, I would rather have my water experience in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, that's how we talk. I told him, I said, give me my water experience in the wilderness. Maybe I got too much imagination, but I feel like this text could have read a whole lot better if it started off in the wilderness. Can you see it? If it started off in the wilderness, and as soon as Satan rolls up on Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, then let a loud voice come from heaven and interrupt Satan in the middle of him talking and let the Godfather say, what you mean if? He is the son of God. He is the son of God because I already said he was the son of God. Satan, I'm going to tell you right now, you better put some respect on Jesus' name. You better put some respect. On, if you don't put some respect on his name, all three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, we about to jack you up. As a matter of fact, let there be water. And then water shows up in the wilderness. And the whole Godhead takes Satan by the throat and just start drowning him in the water. And says, I wish you would say if one more time. Just drown him to death. And then, and then after Satan's lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and say, we're ready for the baptism now. I <laughs> think it would read better like that, but uh, it will not happen. I'm sorry, it will not happen. You will not get your water experience in the wilderness because God has this uncanny ability, this profound proclivity to take you from the water to the wilderness, 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 from the water to, I'm going to say it until it annoys you, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, I want you to hear my voice in your head tomorrow as you're drinking coffee going, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, it is God's system. He takes you from the water to the wilderness. You do know in our text that when John baptized people, he baptized them in the, hello, in the water. But when they asked John who he was, he said, I am a voice crying out in the crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? He takes you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness. Now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea. Because the Red Sea is comprised of water. And the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. And Pharaoh thought they were just slaves. But they were not just slaves. They were loved. They were children of God. And he was pleased with them. And when you are God's child, there is no stronghold. There is no bondage. There is no addiction that can ever hold you down. Come on, somebody. Because whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Moses had to lift up his staff and split the water, but they didn't go straight to the promised land. They went from the water to the... They were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. 
And God always has this system of taking you from the water to the wilderness. I don't want to sound like a broken record today, and I hope I'm not bringing my own presupposition to this biblical passage. But I told you earlier I got three kids, two-year-old, one-year-old, one in the oven. And uh, because my kids are young, birth is not too distant of a memory to me. So I would even like to pose, posit, and postulate today that even the way we enter the earth is just a microcosm, it's just a mirror of this transcendent truth that God always takes you from the water to the wilderness. Can I preach it like I feel it? Come on, you do remember how you were conceived, right? You do remember how you were conceived, right? You were conceived in your mother's womb. Identity already confirmed in the womb. Ooh, we're having a boy. Oh, we're having a girl. And isn't it funny, in your mother's womb, you were surrounded by... So much so that when your head got too big and your birth was imminent, your mama looked up over the dining room table and said, uh-oh, my just broke and rushed to the hospital. And do you remember your first birthday? Do you remember how you came into the earth? How did you come to the earth? Did you come to the earth laughing? No. Did you come to the earth singing? No. Did you come to the earth Millie rocking and dancing? No. Did you come to the earth rapping? Started, started from the belly, now I'm here. No, 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 no. That's not how you came into the earth. Every single baby around the world comes into the earth just like this. Uh-huh. Screaming, kicking, crying at the top of your lungs. And us silly parents look at a baby that's screaming at the top of his lungs and we smiling, talking about, hey, welcome to the world. And they look at us talking about, ah, ah, ah. And I am convinced, this is OA conference, I am convinced that if you could translate and transcribe the cry of every newborn baby, the caption across the screen will read, what you mean welcome to the world? Don't you mean welcome to the? You spend your entire life grappling with the weight, the complexity, the frustrations of the wilderness that you were born into. I've learned in my life to be quick to love, not quick to judge. Because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into. Oh, the wilderness is a real place. And it is the heat of the wilderness that seeks to evaporate your experience in the water. And it can leave you with daunting questions like, who am I? Where am I? And how do I deal with what's been placed in front of me? Here's the quintessential question that's got to be answered before we leave here today. And that is, how are you going to handle the temptations that face you in your wilderness? How are you going to handle it? Some of you are shocked that I even asked the question. You're like, oh, Robert, how dare if you ask such a question? I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been walking with the Lord for years now. I floated in the room today while I had communion for breakfast. What is this you speak of? Temptations in my wilderness? Why, I'm in conference today. I know. But this is the water. Monday, you got to go back to work. That is the... Oh, come on, somebody. Tension is in the transition. I need you to see today, and I got my showtime at the Apollo music playing. I need you to see <laughs> the same spirit that descended on Jesus in the water is the same spirit that led him into the wilderness. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So that means the wilderness is not the problem. The problem is who is in the wilderness posted up waiting for you to get there. Ooh, Satan 
was already in the wilderness, posted up, waiting for Jesus to get there, and he did not open his mouth or clear his throat until after Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. But he was already in the wilderness waiting for him to get there, just watching him fast the whole time, just watching. Waiting and watching. This is what the enemy does. He waits, he watches, and then he attacks. This is his tactic. He waits, he watches. He's the original creeper. He watches, and then he attacks. This is what he always does. He waits, he watches. He, he did it in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. What did he do as a serpent? He slithered in there, and he waited. He watched, and then he attacked. As a snake, he did this. Ooh, it's going to mess you up. I'll never forget watching Discovery Channel. And they did a special on snakes. And I almost changed the channel because I don't do snakes. But I'm glad I kept watching. Because they said something that blew my mind. They said snakes are one of the only species that never blink. Zoe Conference, this is a snake. They don't blink. Just watch and wait for an opportunity to attack. The enemy's doing the same thing to you. He's watching, he's waiting, going, how can I attack you? I watched another special they did. This is about a lady that had a pet snake. A pet snake, a pet, a pet snake. The animal that Satan chose to manifest him to. This was her pet. That's a different kind of cray-cray. And she ran into a problem because her pet snake stopped eating, refused to eat. This snake would not eat anything for several months. She'd feed the snake rats, rodents, stopped eating. Out of cause and concern, she takes her pet snake to the veterinarian. Says, veterinarian, I have a problem. Said, my snake refuses to eat. For the last several months, it is not eating anything. Veterinarian looked at the snake, looked at the woman, looked at the snake, looked at the woman, then began to ask her a litany of questions. Said, ma'am, by any chance, have you been sleeping with your snake? The lady said, yes, I have. I gotta be honest, he's a python, he's not poisonous, and his cage is right next to my bed, and there are some nights I let him Slither in the bed and come in the bed with me. <laughs> I like how everybody's shocked. Like there aren't other humans who have slept with snakes. But that's, that's a different sermon for a different day. I digress. I digress. I digress. Um, <laughs> anyway, she said, um, she said, I have slept with my snake. Veterinarian goes, hey, ma'am, while sleeping with your snake, have you ever woken up to your snake right next to you? and stretched out beside you. The lady goes, yes, as a matter of fact, other morning I woke up, my snake was right next to me and it was stretched out beside me. Veterinarian said, hmm. Said, ma'am, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Said, the good news is your snake is not sick. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. Said, the bad news is the reason your snake refuses to eat is because your snake is preparing to eat you. She said, the reason your snake has not eaten for several months is because your snake is strategically orchestrating its digestive system to have enough room for you. She said, the reason you wake up to your snake right next to you, stretched out beside you, is because your snake is sizing you up and is trying to see how big it has to get to swallow you whole. The lady said, Really? And I think that's how some believers act as it relates to the attack of the enemy. You think the enemy likes that you're at Zoe conference lifting up the name of Jesus in spite of what you're going through? You think he likes that you're going to step in your purpose and step in your calling? No, he's trying to destroy you. But I'm thankful that he's already been defeated because of what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, come on, somebody give God some praise in this place today. Oh. 
Dallas to LA to scare you with snake stories. I do want you to be aware of the fact you got a real enemy that is watching, he's waiting, he's trying to destroy you. He will do it in the wilderness, in seasons of vulnerability, that's when he attacks. How many know if you're going to win the war in your wilderness, you can't just shout. You might have to get a strategy. Watch this. I know the band's here. We're about to turn up in a, mute, in a minute. I'm, I'm over, but I'm going to do what no preacher's done before. I'm going to give you like four quick points in like four minutes. <laughs> you're going to win the war in your wilderness. Four things you got to know. Get this quickly. Number one, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You got to know where you are. What season of life is this for you? The enemy attacked Jesus at the beginning of his ministry because the enemy loves to battle you at the beginning. He was trying to destroy him before he ever got started. Some of you wonder why the enemy attacked you from the day you were born. It's because he knew the purpose that was on your life. He's been trying to destroy you. But look at you. You still standing. You still here? He even attacked Jesus right at the end when he was on the cross through a voice in the crowd who said he saved others. How come he can't save himself? Trying to get Jesus to come off the cross and abort his mission because he was right on the edge of our redemption. How many know sometimes when you're right at the finish line, the enemy attacks you the most? You can't quit right now. Come on, you are right on the edge of your breakthrough and what God has for you. Where are you? Number two, you're going to win the war in your wilderness? Please know that the word is your weapon. Come on, somebody, with every attack, what did Jesus do? He spoke the word of God. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. He said it like it was a Drake mixtape. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. The word of God is your only weapon. Don't miss this. In the water, the word came over Jesus. In the wilderness, the word came out of Jesus. See, church people today get it twisted. When we're going through the wilderness, what do we want? We want a good word over us. I see you. You come to church with your arms folded talking about, whoo, the preacher better have a good one today because I'm going through the wilderness. But can I tell you, when you're facing the wilderness, you need more than a good sermon. You need more than a word over you. You better have some word coming out of you to fight back against the enemy. And it can't come out if you've never put it in. Word's your weapon. Number three, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You have to know what is at stake what is at stake can I tell you why I love Jesus so much Jesus made decisions with my destiny in mind he looked at humanity through the lens of his love and with every decision he was thinking about us not just on the cross and when he got up from the grave but he was thinking about us in the water and in the wilderness here's how I know he was thinking about us in the water it's because he got baptized in the first place how many you know, if anybody could have skipped baptism, Jesus at the top of the list. He didn't need to get baptized. Baptized is about the old you dying in the water and the new you coming up. This is the perfect son of God. There's no old him to go down in the water. He created John the Baptist and spoke the water into existence that he was going to go down in. But he knew what was at stake. He said, John, this ain't about me. This is about who is coming after me. I didn't just come to die the death they were supposed to die. I came to live the life they were supposed to live. I got to be their perfect example. You got to baptize me. Satan, I can't turn the stones into bread. Because if I turn the stones into bread and eat of it, I am no better than Adam that ate of the forbidden fruit and brought sin into the world. He knew we were at stake. 
hear me today when you're in your wilderness don't you forget what's at stake you can't give in to that temptation this isn't just about you these are about people that are coming after you these are about people that are watching you come on the decisions you make today will determine the stories you tell tomorrow number four I'm done you're gonna win the war in your wilderness you got to know where your help comes from with every attack the enemy launched he tried his best he even tried to get his worship that was the final attack come on you know the enemy always does that he wants your worship it happened to some of you today you came in and you wanted to lift up your hands but the enemy kept reminding you of that issue that's going on at home and all your past mistakes because he's trying to get you to be quiet but I came to tell somebody in the wilderness don't you lose your worship just because you're in the wilderness you might not understand it but don't just look at what's going on around you look at the God above you Come on, is there anybody in here that knows where your help comes from? Your help comes from the Lord. Come on, can you lift up your hands and let's sing this today. That he split the sea so we can walk right through it. Your help comes from the Lord. Come on, let's sing this out today. Hallelujah. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.